Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who, uh, who I don't know or who, who haven't heard, I'm uh, Darren Geyer. I'm the new director of spiritual formation programs. And um, I get to share with you this morning, and I'm excited to, to be able to do that. Um, you know, I just moved offices. I moved upstairs to Justin's old office, and uh, I had a bunch of books. I had a bunch of books, and, and I was putting them on my new shelf in my new office, and, uh, and I came across this one. It's called How to Stay Christian in College. How to Stay Christian in College. Maybe some of you have this book. Maybe you, some of you have books similar to this. Maybe some of you received this as a graduation present before you came to college. Um, but I asked myself, why do, we need, why do we need books like this? You know? Is there something about college that's hazardous to your faith? You know, I'll admit there are some unique things about late adolescence and early adulthood. Um, developmental dynamics, right? You guys, you're asking questions, you're seeking answers. You've, you have fully developed critical thinking and abstract thinking skills, right? And, and maybe social dynamics are true about college, right? You're encountering people with, with different perspectives, different worldviews, more independence to think for yourself. You know, it's, it's common and it's normal, and I think helpful to begin to wonder about the things you have been taught about faith and life and God, but, but what should this look like? Like, has this happened to you? Let's say you've just finished your first year in college and you make plans to see a friend from high school. This, this is a friend from youth group, a friend from church. You, you guys did ski trips together, retreats together, you worship together every week. But as you engage in conversation, you realize things have changed. And they say, yeah, I just don't believe this Jesus stuff anymore. This is not an uncommon experience, I'm afraid to say, and I guess, I guess that's why we need books like this. But you don't have to worry about this, right? You attend a premier Christian university. But wait, isn't it still true for you that, that you're asking questions? You're seeking answers. You have fully developed uh, abstract and critical thinking skills. You're encountering people with different perspectives and different worldviews. And you're thinking more independently for the first time in your life. And is it reasonable? Is it reasonable to assume that it's common for students at Northwestern to experience questions, to experience uncertainties, or even doubts? You know, a recent study in, in the journal Christian Higher Education, it suggests that, that students from evangelical universities, like our own, they experience higher levels of religious struggle compared to their peers at other types of institutions. A recent Barna study claims that two-thirds of Christians face doubt, where they question what they believe about faith and God. So today I want to give us some time to think honestly about these things. And I'm going to invite us to, to open up to Mark chapter 9 now. And if you have a Bible, please do open up with me to Mark chapter 9. I want us to spend some time um, in this story because this story has, um, has a man in it who struggles with belief, who comes face to face with his doubts. 
So Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 27. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. I'm going to pause here just a second. So we, we begin to see the depths of the suffering and the pain that this family is experiencing. To have a son who's, who's tortured like this, you know, I can only imagine the brokenness and the suffering that this family has been going through. Verse 19, Jesus says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I say to you, how long shall I stay with you, and how long shall I put up with you? Here we see Jesus' response. His first words are, Your unbelieving generation. It lets us know, right, that Jesus is heartbroken. He's heartbroken over the, the, the man and his son, which we'll see in a minute. But I think more than that, he's heartbroken over um, just the general disbelief of the people who are gathered there. And then maybe the fact that humanity in general just doesn't quite get it yet. And he says, bring the boy to me. Verse 20. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Here we see the, the man, we can tell, is, is just desperate, right? And who of us wouldn't be desperate? I get the impression that this father has probably tried everything, right? Everything in his power, anything he thought would help that might help his son. And everything he's tried has been unsuccessful. And so he pleads with Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love Jesus' response here. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus is saying, what do you mean if? There are no ifs with me. Jesus knows that the Father has doubts, and he calls him out. And I love that. You know, every day, we're given opportunities to believe things or to not believe things. I think as humans, it's normal that, we, that when presented with something um, far-fetched or unbelievable, we typically want to experience it firsthand or see it with our own eyes in order to believe it. In fact, one day this past October, a friend came up to me and said that a meteorite had crashed into a lady's house in the middle of the night and landed on her pillow. And I waited for the punchline. <laughs> And he said, no, it's true, it's a true story. And I, I didn't believe him at all. And, and so I had to find out for myself. 
And uh, here's what I found. Let's watch this. I was in this bedroom right here. Call it luck. Call it chance. It came through the roof right up in there. But there are some things that just can't be explained. I think I'm just in wonder, yeah. You know, every time I go into the bedroom, I go, oh my goodness, that could have hit me. On the night of October 4th, Ruth Hamilton had been asleep for hours when she awoke to the sound of her dog barking. Ready? Then, moments later, this came hurtling into her bedroom. It sounded like an explosion happening. Jumped out of bed, ran over and turned on the light and saw a hole in my roof. The 66-year-old immediately called 911. It was only then she discovered what had happened. Flipped back the, the top pillow, and there was the rock. A gray charcoal chunk of rock the size of a softball came tearing through Hamilton's roof, landing in between her pillows just centimeters from where her head had been only seconds earlier. Just thinking of that just makes my heart race. RCMP was sent to investigate, initially suspecting the rock was debris from a construction site nearby. But a quick phone call confirmed there had not been any blasting that night. However, workers on site did report seeing a meteorite exploding before it disappeared. And on social media, even further proof. Images have surfaced, captioned, the huge fireball last night at Lake Louise. What a spectacular shot. It was well over a kilogram, so I would say that big, yeah. Hamilton has reported the find to a team of experts at Western University who have since confirmed the rock is in fact from space, likely a part of the solar system's astro belt. It went through tin, asphalt shingles, plywood, and then uh, the drywall. While Hamilton was shaken up, she wasn't hurt. And now she has a story to tell that's truly out of this world. I'm just thankful to be alive and yeah, be here talking to you and your family. Kelly Stanton, Global News. <laughs> Simply amazing. Apparently on very, very, very rare occasions, meteorites crash into houses. Peter Brown, a professor at the University of Western Ontario, says it's a one in 100 billion, with a B, chance that that would happen. If you think about it, Our faith journey is filled with opportunities to believe the unbelievable. But so often that can feel uncomfortable to us, can it? We live and we operate in this, this economy of certainties, of proof, and of rationality. And this desire for confident knowing can crowd out anything that, that's mysterious or supernatural. We simply want to know for certain and we struggle with the unbelievable. But faith, I would say, uh, requires an aspect of uncertainty. Jesus invites us to trust him even when we can't see how all the pieces fit together. And although this can be difficult, there, there is potential for such beauty in this mystery. Let's turn back to our passage in Mark 9. You know, as soon as Jesus calls attention to the boy's father's doubt, And when he says, what do you mean if? Here's my very favorite part of this passage. We get the father's response to Jesus. And he says in verse 24, I do believe. 
Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but in the very same breath, help me overcome my unbelief. You know, this is what I love about the Bible. We get a picture of humanity in raw form, and, and this response from the Father is, is nothing but, but honesty without trappings and without apologies. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. After being called out about his struggle to believe, the father has no reason to hide anything anymore. And I believe that this is exactly what Jesus would have wanted to hear from the father. I don't think this is doubt disguised as, as faith. I, I think this is a man desperately professing his, his faith in Jesus to heal his son. But the father is at the same time acutely aware of the fact that he doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't have it all figured out. And here's the best part, and I love this. The, boy, the boy's father says, help me overcome my unbelief. You, Jesus, help me. He turns to Jesus for the help that he needs, the help that only Jesus can truly give. We all know that as humans, we have this uncanny ability to falter our ability not to trust even God. It was true for our ancestors in the Garden of Eden, and it's true for us today. But let's remember Paul's reminder to us in 2 Corinthians 12 that God's power is made perfect in weakness. When we turn to God for help, we're looking in the exact right place. He will give us what we're lacking. And that's my prayer for us, anybody here who's, who's struggling with doubt or uncertainties right now, that we would move closer to Jesus even as we struggle, that we would cling to Jesus, that we'd run to him, and that we'd ask him to help us with our unbelief. For you who have questions about the things you've been taught about faith and God, for you who don't know what to believe about the difficult to believe things, for you who have experienced brokenness You who've experienced pain and suffering and loss, these things can so often be barriers to faith. But bring Jesus your hurt, bring Jesus your doubts and your questions and your uncertainty and bring him your faithlessness. I wanna give us an opportunity to do that this morning in the room here. And this this is an invitation to everybody. And as Joe comes on back up, um, we're going we're gonna to have a song together. Uh, we're gonna, and, and really, I want this to be a chance for you to reflect and maybe more listen and, and, and read the lyrics. And if, if your heart feels like you'd like to sing along, that's absolutely a, an appropriate response too. But um, I want to give us a chance to reflect. And for you who have doubts, for you in the room who struggle with belief or have uncertainties, my invitation for you is, is to, in this moment, don't walk away, don't check out, don't abandon the Lord during this season of your life and during these next few minutes. But bring your questions and bring your doubts to the Lord. Call to mind those things that you struggle with and give them to God. For those in the room who are not experiencing uncertainties or doubt or spiritual struggle, I invite you to to hold space in this place today for those who are. 
and who do. With compassionate hearts, lift up your brothers and sisters whose questions or brokenness have them struggling in these moments. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus brings restoration to the boy and his father. He casts out that demon that had been crippling him for so long. And that's really why Jesus came, isn't it? To bring restoration, to bring healing to all of us, to the world. Jesus fixes the broken places in our hearts. And because of this, with God, there are no ifs. We can believe, even when it's hard. This restoration, it's a gift. It's a, it's a free gift from God, who loves us way too much to leave us alone in this broken and confusing world. And as we wrap up today, I, I just want to leave you with uh, three things, uh, three things to remember. Uh, take these things with you this week. First is, remember that God wants to use you in the lives of others, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their brokenness and doubt. Let's walk through our days with eyes wide open, looking for how to love our roommates, how to love our neighbors, strangers who might be struggling, asking God, how will you use me in their life? Here's where we get to practice some of those one another statements that we've been talking about that are found in the New Testament. Bear one another's burdens from Galatians 6. In Ephesians 4, speak truth to one another. First Thessalonians, encourage and build up one another. First Peter, be hospitable to one another. James 5, pray for one another. Second thing I want you to remember today, if you're struggling, remember to find a friend you can talk to about these things. That can be your best friend, a parent, a pastor, a professor, university staff, an RA, an MP, a CA, us on the spiritual formation team. Find somebody, don't struggle through this alone. You know, research suggests that Christians who struggle with doubt are far more likely to come through it, even with a stronger faith at the end, if they have someone who they can share about these things with. And three, the third thing I want you to remember and take with you today, remember that God is with you. He's with you in the storm, and he's with you in the doubt. So what is it in your life that comes in the way of belief? What burden have you brought with you into this auditorium today? You know, we don't need to wonder if God cares. He demonstrated so vividly for us that, that he came to us in human form, entering into our space, entering into our experience, into our broken world, and he wants us to come to him even if we don't have it all figured out, even if we still have questions, even if our doubts trouble us, let's cling to Jesus. Let's let our questions drive us to seek him. And may we say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief.
Let's pray together. Lord God, I just ask that today you would remind us that that you are all we need. And God, you do know our name. Father, we live in a world that's pretty crazy. We encounter a million different opinions, competing ideologies, different worldviews. We experience brokenness. We experience pain. And God, these things can come between us and you. And so, Father, remind us today that you can handle our doubts, God. You can handle our questions and you want us to come to you with our emotions. Father, show us your truth. Use our uncertainties. Use our unbelief to draw us closer to you, the very source of truth. In your name we pray. Amen.